1: This is Wheelbearings. I'm Dan Roth, and I'm Sam Abual Samad. So, remember last week when we talked about trying to be on a sort of more regular schedule? Don't,
2: don't, don't say that, Dan. Don't remind them. They'll probably, <laughs> hopefully, they've will forgotten that part.
1: Well, I welcome everybody to the Church of Wheelbearings because it's Sunday, <laughs> and so <laughs> we are we are worshiping at the altar of speed. Um, yeah, I don't know. I can't. I can't do any better than that. But uh, yeah, it's been a little while and we're sorry, but there was there was stuff going on. Um, like you, you actually went and checked out some robotic stuff, which we'll talk about, but that had to be pretty cool.
2: Yeah, it was. But uh, awesome. Yep, let's let's talk about what we were driving first.
1: Yeah. Uh, so. All right. You know what? I'm so excited by okay, go first. this car. All right. Because uh, I, I usually I try to make you go first. Power game. (laughs) It's not really. Uh, So I had the 2018 Acura TSX A Spec. Uh, TLX. You had this. uh, Yeah, I'm sorry. TLX. (laughs) Acura with their their letter soup kind of thing. They're doing a Cadillac where nobody can figure out what the hell the car is. But it's the TLX A Spec. And so you had this car a while ago. I think it was September, October of last year.
2: Yeah. And then I had it again. I had one here in Michigan uh, in the fall. And then I had one in December when I was uh, out in California uh, to go drive the Leaf, uh, the Nissan Leaf. And uh, so I got a chance to play with it out, you know, on some some roads out in California at that time. And so go ahead. Yeah. What, no, no, go what ahead. did you think of it? I mean, we well, already I, talked about what what my thoughts. You, let's hear. Yeah. Yours.
1: And it's weird. because like I can't. I can't recall you, and maybe you're just not as, as effusive a person as I am, but I can't recall your praise of this car being as as excited as I am about it. I, like, I'm not sure I want to tell everybody about this car because then the secret will be out and the, the A-spec is going to get sought after and then it'll get expensive and uh, harder to find because I really, really, really liked this car in this particular spec um and and maybe it's it's like sort of the next kind of quietly great uh enthusiast sedan that we're going to lament when it's gone but we're not going to actually buy it while it's here so hopefully uh i can get over my my trepidation about telling people and just like yes if you like to drive and you like cars that like to be driven go buy an a spec because it's good
2: Yeah, Yeah. I mean, let let the secret out because you know, in in the current market environment where it seems like nobody wants wants cars anymore, sedans, everybody wants um, uh, you know wants SUVs and crossovers. You know, let's get as many people into these things as we can. You know, let's let's convince Honda that they need to keep building cars like this.
1: Yeah, I was I was very impressed by it, and I, I didn't expect to be as impressed as I was. I usually like Acuras, but the the balance of, of the TLX A spec is just it, it, it it's almost like they talked to me <laughs> before before they calibrated everything. You know, the suspension is it's comfortable, you can feel the, the travel, you know, the, the spring travel mm-hmm. and the damping and everything and it all works to to take the edge off the road and yet it still handles really crisply and they're, the switchable drive modes make a noticeable difference. So if you want it more button down, you can put it into sport plus. And it really is kind of a precision weapon in, in traffic, which I really appreciated, uh, because it's it drives smaller than it is. And part of that is the um the super handling all-wheel drive that overdrives the rear axle. I think it's like 2.7%. I don't have the, the press release in front of me, but uh it, it overdrives the rear axle so that when you're in the middle of a corner and you you exit the corner under power, it uh, it will rotate the car. What you know, it drives from the rear and it rotates the car around its uh, you know its axis so that it actually feels smaller than it is, and that's really impressive.
2: Yeah, and, and you know, I've I've driven the uh, like I said, I've driven the TLX Ace back twice now, and I think the first time I drove it when I had it here in Michigan, I, I probably was. Um, a little less enthusiastic, you know, when I drove it in California, I I liked it a lot more for, for reasons that I'm not quite sure why. Um, but I really (laughs) did, (laughs) I really did enjoy it more when I was in California. Um, and I think, you know, it probably had something to do with having better roads to drive it on, you know, just more interesting roads. Let me put it that way. Um, you know, having, having some curves and, and stuff rather than just, you know, driving on the freeway. Um. And I mean, you know, it's the the TLX, you know, is I think is a is a really nice size car. You know, it's not too big, not too small. You know, it's it's a it's big enough to be really practical, Um, you know, as a family sedan. You know, it's easy enough to, you know, put a couple of child seats in the back if if you need to do that. Um, You know, it's got a a decent sized trunk and. Yeah, you know, as you said, you know, I've, I've always been a fan of Acura's uh, super handling all wheel drive system. You know, it's it's a mouthful of a brand, you know, but, um, you know, basically doing the torque vectoring uh, to, to on the rear axle to shift a little bit of extra torque. Uh, to one side or the other as needed to help the car turn in and, and overcome uh, under the understeer that is inherent in all front wheel drive cars. So, you know, I've, I've always appreciated that from the first time I drove it, you know, more than a decade ago, I think uh, actually on a track in an RDX at that time. And also in, in the, in the old RL um, and, you know, every, every, every Acura I've driven with that system, you know, I've, I've really appreciated it. So, um, you know, I, I totally agree with, with your thoughts, especially when you put it in Sport Plus mode. You know, that's where it really yeah. starts to come alive. You know, in, in drive, you know, it's fine. You know, it's quick. But it's just, you know, I mean, there's any number of cars that are, you know, as feel as good when it's in drive mode. But when, in Sport Plus, um, you know, the steering tightens up. It, you know, everything just feels better.
1: Yeah, and it's just overall, it again, it's really, really well done. And I don't think that they're, Making as as much noise about it as as they could, uh, you know the 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 weight and the feedback from the steering I thought was unexpectedly great, uh, and it's it, it's this is a driver's car you know you do if you leave it in normal mode it's it's a pretty good car and it drives nicely and you're mostly satisfied all the time it, it's it's tight about its its responses and yet it's not harsh. Uh, it, it's, it fills all those practical needs. You know, it has good space. The, the, the like you said, the trunk. It's got you know, cup holders galore, You know, where they where you need them, and and just overall, it, it fills those family sedan duties. But when you call on it to be more than just a practical thing, you know, when uh you know when your thoughts go beyond, oh, does remote start also turn on the heated steering wheel? What are the fuel economy ratings? You know, when you bounce actually tips toward driving. It there's that delicate balance that has to be struck. You know, usually the balance is between accelerating or turning. And some cars go too far in one direction, say like a Hellcat Charger, <laughs> <laughs> um, which turns amazingly well, but uh, also really it's, it's Forte is acceleration. Right. Um, or, or, or turning, which is, you know, something more like a Miata, which Turns amazingly well, but its forte is not accelerating. Uh, so certain performance sedans will wind up balancing that really well. And I think that's one of the things that we've loved about the usual suspects for so many years is that they strike that balance where they're not the best accelerating. You know, they're not they're not going to win all the quarter mile drags, but they but you don't, don't have to, themselves. you know, you, you
2: yeah. don't spend your life on a drag strip. You don't have to win every, you know every launch from a red light
1: your life has not lived a quarter mile at a time <laughs> uh, no it's not actually <laughs> no i i agree you know it's but when you want it you know it's nice to tow into the engine and get a little power and that's that's certainly here this is i think the only version of the tlx uh with the v6 i, I don't think you can get the v6 in a uh non a spec tlx like
2: could be i wrong on that. But uh, uh, yeah, I think you're right um, for 2018. I think that may, in fact, be the case.
1: Um, and it's a really good engine here. It's 290 horsepower. It's responsive. It has a nice metallic growl to it. You know, f- sounds like a sporty engine and it, it works really well with the nine speed automatic. It, it'll click off quick shifts in Sport Plus. It's very satisfying. There's shift paddles. It's, it, it's just good at what it does. And I'm also impressed with the way. Acura has redesigned the, the shifter because everybody's redesigning the shifter in the luxury sedan performance kind of space. Uh, BMW has their new thing. The Volvos that I've driven lately have had a different way to put the thing in gear. Uh, so Acura has had this for a couple of years where it's, it's push buttons. But when you, when you look at it, it's, it's actually pretty intuitive. So there's the big circular button for drive. And then there's this other little button that you actually pull back towards you. You put your finger into a little slot and pull it back. Yeah, it's, it's like a win, it's
2: like a window switch.
1: Yeah, exactly. It so you can operate it without looking at it, and it still makes sense, and it takes up less space than packaging a you know a physical stick that's not connected to anything, but sort of sort of you know, hundred years of convention. Uh, so um, I, I, I even, I'm I'm like, not as
2: enamored of that system as as you are.
1: I you know. Uh, certainly the the stick is with something everybody understands but i i got to the point where i i i thought this was actually a clever and thoughtful way to do it that really that thoughtfulness is a theme that goes throughout the car everything feels really thought out uh it, overall even just the the interior materials and trim and assembly quality the assembly quality i thought was stellar on this the the, the tlx a-spec and, and probably across the tlx range this is just a very well put together car it it didn't rattle didn't make any funny noises it felt really good uh i, I liked the material choices with uh, this has the uh the black seat seats uh, well it has a black interior with the alcantara in the middle of the seats and and Leather outer things. I was a little disappointed. There's, there's only two options for interior color with the A spec, which is like screaming red or black. Yeah, <laughs> I, I tried to order one on the website with. Um, there's a beige interior, and there's also a, I think another like gray interior. You can't get either of those with the A spec package, which is a little disappointing. But um, no, maybe this is just the the kind of car I like, I, and and they happen to build one, but uh i i thought it was a really buttoned down uh sports sedan that lives up to the description of sports sedan and uh, you know also can can be lived with uh because it does the sedan thing well even as it does sport well so I, I you know yeah i was i was impressed and i don't recall you being as impressed with it but maybe um that's just my selective memory
2: <laughs> yeah no i guess i, I- I think when when I drove it in the fall earlier in the fall, I definitely was not as enamored with it. But um, when I drove it in California, I, I liked it a lot more. Um, and I was just checking the uh, the feature list on on the website, and uh, you can get the V6 in the non ACE spec TLX as well. Oh, you can, yeah. So you can get either the 2.4 liter four cylinder or the V6, and then the ACE spec is V6 only.
1: Right. It's worth it. To, I, oh, so absolutely. That's the, the, the bottom line, too, is like, this car has – there are no options on an A-Spec, from what I recall, or there's very few.
2: Yeah, basically so just it, it colors. Comes,
1: right. It comes with just about everything, and it's like $46,000. That's an unheard of bargain for a car that's this fun to drive. Uh, yeah, I mean, if you, you know if you get, compare
2: that to a BMW or, or a Mercedes, right. you
1: know. Yeah. No, they're not they're not as fun to drive at forty six. I mean you have to very carefully select your BMW to make it that fun at, at forty six. And it's not gonna have all of the bells and whistles that the A spec has. You know, it, it, it has a Honda Nav and mm-hmm. Honda Infotainment, which is getting better. It's
2: it's it's okay.
1: But um, it also supports I,
2: Android Auto and CarPlay, and you don't have to right. pay a subscription fee to use them
1: there's that uh and and like i said it is it is getting better i i don't like the dual screen thing but i figured it out more readily
2: that's that's going away now though i mean, starting with the new rdx uh this later this spring um that one's going to a single screen layout so this this is like the last of the dual screen uh acuras
1: good it's uh an idea that I can understand why they did it so basically you've got the lower screen that is a touch screen and it's that's where hvac and all the sort of audio controls and stuff come up and then you've got the upper screen that is the uh like nav and other car settings and stuff and um it's just a little confusing to know which is where and to get them both dimmed down to the right level and and That kind of stuff, but yeah, I think the I think the
2: rationale was you know with the second screen having that up higher, it's closer to your line of sight, uh, so that you know you don't have to look as far away from the road to glance over to check the nav screen or anything like that. Yeah. Whereas you know the other screen, you know, which is things you're not going to use as frequently, um, you know, you can put mount that down a little lower.
1: Yeah, and I'm sure it saves them both real estate and cost when you're putting a bunch of touch you know, touchscreen buttons on there instead of actual physical controls and stuff. So fine. I I get it. I just, it's not, it's tough to do. And I don't think it's done great, but it also doesn't completely get in the way of driving. Um, And I know that I just, I went off about census last week for the same thing. Uh, There's more limited functionality through this screen or there's more physical controls to to be redundant in the the well uh, there, i think
2: there's also there's also less modality so you're not it's not switching modes as much and yeah. switching context you know whereas with census you know you're swiping back and forth between the, the three pages and you know um you know for example you know i'm i've got uh i've got a volvo right now um uh, and when you use, uh, you know, Android auto or, or CarPlay, uh, it shows up in the middle screen in the lower half of the, the screen, a portrait mode screen. And if you, uh, swipe over to the, the right screen to get something to get at, uh, to change a setting, you know, it, uh, it'll bring that up in that back, you know, it'll switch back over to the middle screen and show that setting in the lower half of the screen. Uh, and then to go back to the Android Auto screen, you have to swipe back again, tap the Android Auto button to bring the, you know, so it, it's not, it, it doesn't let you go back and forth easily without doing a lot more swiping and tapping, um, which is, you know, is not a good thing. And so, you know, I think the, even though, you know, the, in some respects, I think the two screen setup that Acura used, you know, is, you know, a little clumsy. I think it's actually, it's less clumsy than census the census layout
1: yeah i think in in my experience uh sort of jives with that so you know there's that dual screen thing that i didn't love but i also got used to it so fine um it's it's just you know that was really basically the biggest demerit i could I could give it it's it's a button down car that I really enjoy driving and that I could actually somewhat afford and it you know it's not a two-ton Bluetooth accessory um, which is where I feel like a lot of <laughs> a lot of cars in this segment are are going you know they're getting fat and it, this doesn't feel fat it's it's nimble it's light on its feet uh, it, it, and oh the other thing that I was really impressed with was just the ELS audio system and this thing was awesome
2: yeah those <laughs> like, have always been really good
1: it's very very good um i played it very loud for for very many miles it, it was good if, if you like cars you know what? i feel like this is a good car to tell about uh tell alex worry about like no it has a great audio system <laughs> it has all the the driver aids it has a bunch of adas in it uh and it also just drives really well he probably already knows because he knows about all kinds of premium things that i'm not aware of but I figured since he opened a hi fi shop in Manhattan he might appreciate it.
2: Yeah, no, I'm I'm sure he would say that this, you know, this still sucks because it's it's a it's an in car <laughs> hi fi system. You know, it's it's it, it can never be even remotely it can never even approach what you can do with a proper home hi fi system. Well, um,
1: but that wasn't the point I was making. Like, yes, I well, of I know course. that.
2: But you know, <laughs> Alex being Alex, you know, he he will say, you know, just you know get a Morgan three-wheeler and, and that should be enough you know And just you know enjoy the world around you as you drive
1: Okay yeah Okay you
2: don't that's need an infotainment too. You don't need an infotainment system in a car
1: I feel like Manhattan Is a uniquely practical place to Own a Morgan three-wheeler Where my my commute From suburban Massachusetts to suburban Massachusetts Morgan three-wheeler wow. Would be thrilling But
2: also <laughs> that's that's one way of
1: describing it Yeah <laughs> <laughs> not practical if, at if, if all. you're
2: you know if if you're into those sorts of you know life-threatening thrills yeah
1: i the older i get the more i am because i i mean i've accepted death
2: as, as, <laughs> so. as, as you as, as you recognize your own mortality you realize ah screw it you know i'll just you know enjoy life while it's here and you know when it ends yeah. it ends
1: yeah exactly okay.
2: that's fair uh, enough
1: you, you know Ah, oh, it was the, it was some movie. It was like I want to go, you know, I want to die peacefully in my sleep, like my grandfather, not um, screaming in terror like his passengers.
2: <laughs> Good. <laughs> anyway, I like that. what are you driving? <laughs> uh, I had the uh, the Toyota the twenty eighteen Toyota Camry XSE, uh, which is it's interesting. Um, you know, uh, last year you know Toyota launched an all new Camry, um, you know, based on the TNGA platform, which is also used for the the Prius. Um, You know, it's a it's a new look for Camry, much more uh, modern and and aggressive and coupe like, you know, just like every other four door sedan in the last decade. Um, And, uh, you know, I think overall it's it's a good look. Um, You know, it's much improved. And, you know, the XSE is the sort of sporty model, sporty variant of the Camry if there can be such a thing. Um, you know, it's not quite a TLX A TLXA spec. Um but it, <laughs> it kinda it kinda has the you know, kind of implies that with the visuals, you know, certainly with a much more aggressive front fascia, uh bigger wheels, um, you know, quad uh, exhaust pipes, um, which I'll get back to in a moment. Um you know, and I you know, I think it's it's a good looking car. You know, I, I think um, it's probably the best looking Camry ever, um, which you know yeah, again is is I, I, not a high bar to jump over, but it's it, I mean, no, no it's, it's, mean, it's it's actually it actually is a good looking car. I I do like it.
1: I, um, I've seen them out in the wild. The XSE is the one that has the like the simulated vents and the, the the rear like the taillights right? The yeah,
2: just below just below yet. the tail lights. Um, yeah. You know, so there are some details that I think are maybe a little bit overdone, like those uh, aforementioned <laughs> vents. Um, you know, I think. They probably could have done without those Um, that really was, was not necessary Um, because, you know, like you said, they're, they're fake. Um, And, and then there's those exhaust pipes, which uh, uh, last week, uh, my friend Richard Truett was, who was also happened to be driving uh, one of these Camrys um, took a look at it and noticed something about it and posted it on Facebook um, that the, Outer exhaust tips, so there's two exhaust tips on each side, the outer exhaust tips um, were unusually clean relative to the um, the highly uh, soot coated inner exhaust tips. And if you look underneath and look closely, you'll see that those outer exhaust tips are just kind of welded on appendages uh, that give you the look of, you know, a quad exhaust uh, quad outlet exhaust uh, but there's there's no actual flow through those outer tips that's all through the inner tips uh, you know
1: what that's that's done all the oh, time Oh, i
2: know this this is this is not by any means a new phenomenon uh you know frankly i i would have preferred you know a pair you know a pair of single tips um you know with sl- slightly larger diameter uh but you know I, you know it's 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 not a big deal. Yes, you know, it's it's, you know, uh, uh, kind of a poser thing, you know, like those fake exhausts in the rear corners. But, you know, who cares? You know, if if you like, I don't think we should.
1: I don't think we should give them a pass on that, though. I mean, that's it's like the spinal tap effect, right? Like it doesn't actually do anything. It's just (laughs) like this Camry goes to 11 and there's not really any. There's no need for it other than some sort of way to visually differentiate the car. And I, I don't know, like it, it's supposed to be there because the XSE is the the most, right? It's
2: I think the, you know, I think the, you know, the little deck spoiler, you know, the more aggressive front fascia, the bigger wheels, I think those alone do enough to differentiate the car from other Camrys that you don't really need those exhaust tips. You don't need, uh, you don't need the um, the fake vents, you know, it's, I'd, I'd rather, you know, keep it more authentic uh, you yeah, know, I for, agree with to, that. to the degree you can for, for such a thing, because, you know, although this is the, the sportier uh, Camry, it's um, you know, it's not, I wouldn't call it a sports sedan, you know, it's, it's a 2.4 liter or 2.5 liter uh, four cylinder, uh, 208 horsepower, you know, it's 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 more than adequate. You know, it's it's fine for everyday driving. I, I had I had no issues with the the performance of this thing. You know, it's certainly not going to run with something like the like that TLX or, you know, any of the, you know, really sportier variants of some of the uh, some of the other cars you can get out there. Like, you know, for example, the. Um, uh the the accord uh 2 liter turbo or or even you know a v6 camry for that matter because you can get the xse with a v6 you know this one you know comes standard with a four cylinder um you know if you want you know more aggressive performance you I would definitely suggest you go with the v6 um but you know i think you know for normal everyday driving you know if you want something that you know that's got a sporty look um you know has you know a little more grip cuz it's got bigger wheels and tires um you know, I you know, there's nothing wrong with going with the this four cylinder version. I think, like I say it's got more than enough performance uh, to uh, you know to to let you enjoy driving. And you know, the driving dynamics of this of this new platform are you know so much improved over you know the prior generations that you know it actually does you know ride and handle pretty well um, and you know even managed to you know survive a, a couple of uh, potholes that I was not able to manage to avoid uh, you know without blowing out a tire so that's that's a good thing um, you know, and then, you know, the, the interior is also, you know, much improved over past, uh, Camry's, you know, some, some really nice materials and, and finish in there. The, the new Entune 3, um, infotainment system is better, uh, than before. You know, it's based on, it's built on, uh, automotive grade Linux platform. Uh, it definitely performs better. It, you know, it's, it's faster the, the screen is more responsive, uh, you know, it's it has, you know, rotary volume and tuning knobs and and a bunch of other buttons on the, on the sides. Uh, what it doesn't have yet is, uh, you know, when when they first showed Antune 3 last year at the at CES um, they demoed it with what's called smart device link, which is the open source version of Ford's, uh, sync app Mm -hmm. link system that lets you control, you know, uh, compatible apps right from the head unit. Uh, so apps like, uh, for example, you know, Pandora or Spotify, or, you know, there's a whole bunch of other apps that you can control directly from the head unit. It's, it's not like smart, uh, like, um, uh, you know, Android auto or CarPlay, um, because you're, you're still getting the Toyota, um, interface rather than, uh, rather than the, and the same thing, you know, or in a Ford, it would be the Ford, interf- Ford sync interface rather than, you know, the Android, Android or Google or Apple interfaces. Uh, but you can do, uh, voice commands to control those apps. Uh, you know, but, None of that is actually available on this Camry yet. Uh, It will be added at some point. Uh, I think it's actually debuting on the new Avalon. Um, And whether I haven't been able to get an answer from Toyota yet on whether there will be a software update to the current, you know, the existing Camrys that have been built since they launched it last year uh, to enable that. I think there might be. Uh, because I'm, I'm pretty sure it's the same uh, hardware platform that's going into the Avalon, and the Avalon is also getting support for Apple CarPlay in addition to Smart Device Link. Uh, but um, they haven't said whether that's going to be added to the um, to the Camry yet. And you know, so it's it's an improvement. It's it's a big improvement over the last Camry. Um, you know, it's quite quite pleasant to drive. You know, it's, it's, you know, driving dynamics are good. It's, it's roomy. And one of, one of the interesting details I noticed in this, you know, if you look at the the new Camry in profile, uh, you'll see that the, the belt line, uh, the lower, the lower line of the glass from the A pillar, it actually dips down a, l- a couple of inches at first, and then starts to sweep slowly sweep back up again towards the back of the car. and, wow. Um, from the inside of the car, that actually has a surprisingly, um, a surprisingly large amount, a surprisingly large influence on uh, the feeling of airiness and and also the visibility from the driver's seat. You know, because the instead of feeling like you're sitting down low, you know, inside a tank or inside a bathtub like you do in so many modern cars, uh, you know, the fact that they've dipped down the beltline a little bit. Um, you know, makes the, the greenhouse feel larger and, and airier and, and, and just makes it, f- it feels roomier um, and you can, and you can see better out of it, which is also, you know, it's always a positive.
1: Yeah. It's, I, my guess is that it just, because you're looking forward so much of the time, it sort of unshrouds that, that lower sort of periphery and, and does make it, you know, it's a subtle thing, but it probably makes it feel like you said, more open.
2: Um, yeah, no, absolutely. It's, <laughs>
1: This is the the TNGA Toyotas are really the first first overall Toyota platform that I've had the chance to drive. That you just you know it's going to be pretty good because you know at its core it's it's pretty rigid, and uh, depending on the model, they they've managed to to tune it well. Um, You know I don't know how the XSE has that ride handling balance. Uh, Camrys tend to be kind of squishy. But the XSE and the SE are, are usually the sportier ones. So they, they, yeah, this, this one
2: definitely different. feels firmier. There was, there was no squishiness to this car.
1: Yeah. Was it, so was it harsh?
2: Uh, no, uh, it was not, not harsh at all. And, you know, given the, the condition of a lot of our roads at the particular moment in time, you know, that would have been, been very noticeable. So no, you know, I mean, driving down the road, you know, you can feel expansion joints, but it doesn't, it doesn't pound you. So, I mean, you're, you're aware of their presence, but um, it's, you know, it doesn't bounce around. uh, It doesn't, it doesn't slam into those, you know, it, it, it soaks them up reasonably well without, um, without punishing your backside.
1: Yeah. And that's, I mean, to to me, the, the Camry is sort of like this, this dichotomy, you know, it's everybody derides it on the one hand as the plain vanilla car, but also to to do what the Camry does so well <laughs> takes a lot of investment. You know, when they when they launched the new Camry, you know, they they talked up some of the the under the skin stuff um, that goes into it, like laser screw welding, and they use a lot more structural adhesive in it to make it. Uh, you know, just overall, it pays off because it makes it feel really. Really rigid, and just the attention to um, constant optimization—it's—it it's, is like the rolling argument for Kaizen.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely, and you know, you, you mentioned the uh, you know the, the structural adhesive, and this is something that's becoming increasingly common in construction of new vehicles. Um, you know, it used to be that you know the the various panels metal panels that make up the structure of the car you know there'd there'd be a a, you know a a string of spot welds you know along there to join those together uh in some cases you know you might have a a seam weld you know uh going down certain seams you know to to increase the rigidity you know the the more contact points you know the, the the more um you know points of adhesion you have, you know, between the various panels, the the stronger the overall structure. And one of the advantages to using those structural adhesives, you know, by putting on a bead of, of structural adhesive, you know, before you join those panels together, you know, and then adding, adding the spot welds, you know, along the way uh, to hold it all together. And then as it goes into typically the, the way it works, you know, as it goes into uh, it gets painted and as it goes into the, the oven for to cure the paint um, that also cures the adhesive and that adds a surprising amount of rigidity to the overall structure without um, without adding really very much weight at all I mean you know it's like at most typically a couple of pounds uh, you know and usually less than that but it you know it can add you know 10 15 20 percent to the structural integrity of the car of the the vehicle
1: yeah well it clearly clearly pays off so what was the sticker on it
2: uh sticker on this one was about $35,000 which is you know it's on the the high end but again you know you compare it to you know the sportier versions of any of the current crop of midsize sedans they're going to be in that you know low to, to mid 30s uh price range as well you know so, you know Ford uh you know a, a Fusion uh titanium or or sport um you know the Two-liter turbo Accord with an automatic, um, you know, uh, you know Mazda uh, six, you know, they're they're all. Creeping into that price range now, and this one, you know, was equipped. It, you know, and one of the things about the new Camry is it comes standard with features like, um, you know, lane keeping assist and a radar adaptive cruise control, which you know, and and that you know, with that comes things like automatic emergency braking. Um, you know, there's a pedestrian detection system. Uh, so there's there's a lot of safety features that are built in even in the base Camry. Um, you know, at both the base Camry Camry and the the new Accord both have all these features as standard equipment, which is a good thing. And we're starting to see more and more of that across the board as new vehicles are coming to market. Of course, you know, one thing to keep in mind is that, you know, just because you have, you know, radar based adaptive cruise control with automatic emergency braking uh, doesn't mean it's always going to work. Like, you know, if you were driving, say, driving home from Detroit in a snowstorm and Uh uh, the front of your car gets caked up with snow and slush and ice and the the radar sensor can't see through it, um, then the system's not going to work. And so you can't just you can't necessarily rely on it.
1: No, and that was the thing. Like I um they've since taken the the Acura and they, they dropped off a, a an Infinity with um the the dynamic cruise control and and we had a nice uh, snowstorm. And that was the thing. It it warned me, you know, forward collision and all that stuff. It just goes away when the sensor gets kicked up. So uh, you still have to drive the actual car. You have to put your hands on the controls <laughs> and operate them.
2: Yeah. It's you know, thing. the, must do. you know, the, like the, the cameras are usually, you know, because the cameras are typically mounted behind the windshield. They're usually within the, the swept area of the wipers. You know, you can usually keep those clean, but depending on how effective your wipers are and what the conditions are, even that, you know, while it may wipe things away, a lot of times you, you'll still end up with some salt covering the camera. So it still may not, might not be able to see, um, but you know one of the things that you know up until now most cars you know the radar sensor been mounted you know down fairly low in the grill, and um, Delphi uh, recently launched. Uh, what they call their RayCam. It's a, a, a module that has the camera and the radar sensor in, in one unit, along with the, the processing um, that can mount behind the windshield. And that's on the new uh, 2019 Ram. Uh, that's actually what they're using is, is this combined module. So the radar sensor is actually going to be up behind the windshield. So that should help it, you know, in those kinds of conditions to allow it to keep functioning uh, longer, you know, without, you know, without getting all caked up with snow and slush and stuff.
1: Yeah, well, and Toyota's making a, a big push, I think, to make, their, they call it, uh, what, Toyota Safety Sense? Yeah. P- P, like TSS, they're, they're making a big yeah, push they've, to make that they've, standard, Yeah,
2: they've got a couple is. of different levels of it, you know, with, with increasing levels of functionality. And, and, you know, they're planning to make that standard across all of their products uh, by 2019. So, you know, as, as everything gets updated over the next year or so, we'll, we'll see that be, become standard equipment every on every Toyota vehicle, Toyota and Lexus vehicle.
1: Well, I mean, there's going to come a point where the, the ADAS stuff has really proved its its usefulness and its ability to reduce a lot of incidental accidents. So it's going to become like anti-lock brakes or airbags. It'll become required equipment at a certain point, would be my expectation, at least some of it. You know, like we've got the, the uh, backup cameras now.
2: Mm-hmm. And, you know, there, um, a couple of years ago, uh, uh, NHTSA, uh, National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, announced that they were uh, updating their uh, five star ratings, which they tend to do every few years. You know, as cars get better and better, you know they they keep raising the bar, you know, so that you know you don't. Always have everything get automatically getting five stars. You know they they want to keep moving things forward, so they're they're revising the system and starting next year. I think next twenty nineteen or twenty twenty, um, they're going to start factoring in some of the ADAS features like automatic emergency braking uh, towards this the five star rating system. Uh, so you know in order to keep getting five stars, you'll have to have that stuff in there. It won't be mandated by law, but you know manufacturers love to advertise that stuff you know they love to use that the five star ratings for their their marketing uh and the IHS top safety picks and so you know we'll we'll see those features become standard equipment so that they can keep keep advertising that they get the getting the top ratings especially on family oriented vehicles
1: yeah well you know out of the two cars this week i mean i, I think a a 47000 dollar acura that's a lot of fun is going to beat a 36000 dollar camry that's not as much fun. <laughs> yeah. I, I wouldn't argue with that. I mean, like I said, I wouldn't, yeah. I
2: mean, you know, I think, you know, this, this campus this Cam, Camry is a big improvement over the previous generation, you know? And I think, you know, anybody that buys one is, is probably not going to be uh, disappointed. Um, so, you know, I, I think either way, you know, depending on what it is you're looking for, you know, if it's, if it's the right car for your, for your needs and your lifestyle, then you know you'll probably do you'll probably be happy with either one of them
1: yeah I, it's so it's just one of those uh an embarrassment of riches yeah yeah so you know we were talking about the the sensors and stuff so let's let's just continue with that um you had mentioned before we started the ford repair drone patent that dropped this week and I didn't read that much about it but it's it seems like an actual interesting idea that's somewhat terrifying or, or just kind of like Skynet is watching you at all times sort of thing at the same time so no not
2: not really um, you know I mean I you know we hear a lot of stuff in the news you know everybody wants to do all kinds of things with drones you know you've got you know Everybody from Uber to Airbus, you know, wants to build passenger drones. You know, for flying robo taxis <laughs> to to take people around cities. Which, personally, I think is a horrible idea, because if you've ever been around a drone, you know, if anybody playing with like a DJI Phantom or anything else, or any other rotorcraft, for that example, you know, the the fundamental one of the fundamental problems with rotorcraft, whether it's a helicopter or a drone, you know, an octocopter, whatever it might be, is Rotors make noise. They make a lot of noise, you know, and, you know, it's one thing to have a single drone, you know, flying around, you know, in your backyard. But imagine life in a city with thousands or tens of thousands of drones buzzing around all the time. The noise pollution from that is going to be horrendous, and I don't want drones delivering everything to us. I don't want them, fly, you know, I don't want them flying over with passengers all the time because it's it's going to make cities a terrible place to live, you know, or more yeah, more terrible cities, place to live.
1: Well, but see, cities are actually a more attractive place to live for a lot of folks now. We're we're seeing this uh, reverse exodus back to the cities um, yeah, is for a certain segment of population. So. Yeah. I mean,
2: you know, uh, there, there's actually a lot of things I like about being in cities. You know, I, I like spending time in Some cities. cities. <laughs> it's a, well, yeah. I mean, a, a lot of cities, um, you know, there there's, you know, there's things that annoy me, but you know, there's things about everything in life that annoy me just like there is with you. Um, I, so,
1: come on now. Do I ever appear annoyed?
2: <laughs> yeah. Uh, continuing on. Um, but, you know, the, the idea of, of, like I say, of having, you know, thousands of these things buzzing around, I think would quickly become intolerable to residents of cities. I don't think that they would like it. But, you know, I'm, I might be totally wrong anyway.
1: I No, the, I mean, the first time one of those things crashes and takes out a bunch of collateral, you know, it's, yeah, it's not going to be any good. Yeah, it's gonna be a problem.
2: Um, anyway you know back back to this this patent that uh, Ford filed um, you know this is actually a very interesting use of drone technology because what it is um, you know it, it, if we look forward to you know the onset of autonomous vehicles you know when autonomous vehicles are out there on the road and they don't have any steering wheels or pedals in them and a lot of times they may be driving around without even any people in them. What happens if there's a failure mode? you know and and sensors fail? you know lidar sensors go down or radar or cameras die, and you know now all of a sudden the thing is blind and it it doesn't know where to go. Well, um, you know the uh, the obvious thing to do is, well, you know at that point you have to send out a flatbed to bring the thing back to a repair depot. but um, what Ford came up with was an idea to have, you know, uh, these repair drones that would go out, you know, if a vehicle reports a problem and it it can't uh, can't navigate itself around its city, you know, um, they can send out one of these drones that can dock itself on the top of the vehicle. And the drone is equipped with a a spare uh, set of sensors, a a sufficient number of sensors, probably not the full suite of sensors that would be on the vehicle, but enough that would allow it to um, provide information Of the vehicle So when it comes down It docks on top of the vehicle Plugs itself in And it starts sending The sensor data To the to the computer In the vehicle Enough to allow The vehicle To navigate itself Back to a repair facility uh, Autonomously Without having to ha- Send out a tow truck Or a flatbed to, to pick it up And bring it back And you know So that I think Is actually a really cool Application of a drone
1: I Yeah I don't disagree I mean I think It's a, a good idea and you have to solve that problem in in some way like just because the patent has been filed again doesn't mean that it's actually going to come to market it's 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 sort of a protective measure you've got to come up with the idea and then protect the idea and whether or not you actually use the idea at least nobody else can sort of steal your thunder to a certain degree i mean part of the problem with a patent filing is you're you're letting everybody know your ideas, so they can hit market faster um, with something that's similar or n- exactly the same thing, and they just they'll wait for you to sue them about their IP. So it's it's kind of a fraught process, but uh, it's interesting to see that you know those those issues that you don't even think about with all the just constant fervor over self-driving cars, um, the little practical concerns. Like, well, what do you do if it breaks? What do you, you know, how does that, how does that work? How does that get solved? Do we, you know, do we have to have flatbeds on standby or what's, what's that going to look like? You know, they're, they're thinking about it and they're trying to solve that problem in a variety of ways. And this is one of them.
2: Yeah. And I I said, I think this is a, a particularly clever solution to that problem.
1: Yeah. I, you know, we'll see how well it works. I, you know, hopefully it doesn't try to dock itself to cars it's not supposed to or a bunch of random like rogue drones just
2: (laughs) yeah that that could be that i mean you know there there are obvious security issues with that uh you know if someone you know sends out a drone um you know that uh is not in the control of the the fleet operator you know and it docks itself onto you know a random vehicle that you know that is set up for this you know then they could Potentially, you know, take over that vehicle. Um, hopefully, the, the security system, the, the security within the, the vehicle's computer system, you know, is such that you know it's not going to accept a connection from any device that it hasn't uh, hasn't actually requested help from. Uh, but we'll we'll see. Hopefully, they do execute that correctly.
1: Yeah, we'll just have a bunch of drones around cities like random bees just swarming.
2: Yeah, well, that's that's what we're probably going to have anyway. So
1: <laughs> uh, it's, it's a nice dark future we're painting. Oh, yeah. Um, so let's let's continue to look forward. You know, we had the Geneva show and uh, one of the things that was there was the Jaguar Eye pace uh, which is apparently in production heaven and you can order one now
2: yeah um, they they showed the production version of the ipace, which we first saw as a concept at the uh, what years in uh, 2016 LA Auto show so <laughs> about uh, about 15 16 months ago uh, it's hard, hard to keep track anymore. As you, as you get older, these things fly by so fast, you you, you can't tell what year it is anymore. I
1: um, no, I completely agree.
2: Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the, the production version of the I-PACE has changed very little from the, from that concept. You know, the, the basic design is, is pretty much identical. Um, you know, but now we have, you know, full details, uh, on, you know, on the specs, uh, you know, the, we yeah, There was lots of speculation previously, but uh, we, um, at uh, the Geneva show this past week, uh, they announced all the details, and we found out that, um, uh, actually, uh, Jaguar started taking orders uh, from their European dealers on the 1st of March, and I believe they will start taking orders from dealers in North America sometime in May or June, um, and uh, the i is actually being built um, not at Jaguar's plant in the UK, in, in Coventry, but it's actually being manu- uh, assembled uh,
1: by Magna Stier in Austria. Um, so is that one of the reasons why they've gone from – they've gone pretty quickly from concept even just two years ago to production. That's really fast. And well, uh, one of the
2: it's, it's it's – I mean, yeah, it's fast, but I think, you know, basically the the car, you know, the design was, you know, effectively finished. I mean, you know, they, you know, they had obviously started working on this long before November of 2016. You know, and it was already, you know, what we what we saw at the L.A. show that year, you know, was you know, the, 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 essentially the finished product, you know, with very few tweaks to the design. And, you know, they, at that point, they were going to get, they were ready to pretty much ready to almost ready to start testing of, you know, the final vehicle, you know, I'm sure they were testing various mules before that. So, you know, it, it seems like it went f- fast because in a lot of cases you know when we see a concept vehicle from a manufacturer you know they have not yet approved it for production uh, you know this is just an idea that they're throwing out there and it's only after they show it and gauge customer reaction that they decide to they start doing the you know the full scale production engineering of this thing and in this case I think they were already well along that process before they showed us this vehicle as a concept so it, it seems it seems fast but it's 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 I don't think it's really any faster than any other typical program
1: it's a little bit of sleight of hand yeah um, I I really like the i pace I can't wait till it actually winds up um, into infiltrating media fleets I am a little disappointed that they decided to copy Tesla door handles that that makes me a little set with the flush mounted door handles
2: yeah well at at least at least that's about the only thing that they that they really copied uh you know in terms of design um and i don't know that they're necessarily you know as quite the same as the tesla handles and that they're they're um mechanically driven out i think that they may be more like some of the other door handles that we've seen in the past where it's more mechanical where you you press in on it and, you know it comes you press in on one side and it pops out uh so i think it's more like that or hopefully it is because well, uh,
1: that's that's yeah that's more acceptable not yeah. that i not that i you know my opinion doesn't really matter um the thing though going against tesla because they're the, the sort of the 500 pound gorilla in this situation. Uh, the i is not terribly expensive. Uh, when you consider, uh, you know, production is ramped. It's going to hit the market. It's going to be put together really well. The interior design and materials look really good. It, I mean, it starts at 69, like 69, five, um, uh, for the i S and it, it goes up to, I think like 80,000 or a little over 80,000 for the HSE. So, that's a pretty tight spread. And, you know, overall, I think it's, it's going to be a a car that for all the objective measures that we apply to a car probably knocks it out of the park. Jaguars have been really well put together lately,
2: (laughs) just to say, but. (laughs) I know. I mean, you would, you know, if you look back, you know, 15 or 20 years, you know, at the, you know, I mean, one of the issues that British cars in general always had was with electrical systems. You know, the, the classic, you know, joke about, you know, Lucas electrical systems, um, you know, Lucas being the prince of darkness. Right. Uh,
1: That's why they drink warm beer, because their fridges were made by Lucas.
2: Exactly. You know, the, you know, the, <laughs> the uh, you know, the Lucas, you know, toggle switches were labeled off flicker and dim, you know, uh, <laughs> so, you know, the you know, the, to have a completely electric Jaguar, you know, just seems like, like a nightmare in the offing, but you know, recent years, you know, Jaguar and Land Rover, you know, quality ratings have really gone up, you know, and they've, they've been, you know, getting pretty close to the top. You know, so they've gotten a lot more reliable, a lot, a lot better built. And I, you know, I have a lot of confidence in this one, you know, and, and, you know, Magna, you know, does it, you know, Typically does a really good job of building cars for their 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 OEM customers that uh, you know that, that contract with them, uh, you know, and just uh, for for comparison, you know, the i Pace you know comes with a ninety kilowatt hour battery um, and dual motor drive, you know, so it's an all wheel drive. System and starts at sixty nine thousand. The uh, cheapest Tesla Model X uh, starts at sixty seven eight, um, and that's with a seventy five kilowatt hour battery. Uh, so you know that's that's a smaller battery. You know the the one hundred D. You know the price jumps up to eighty four. Just excuse me to start with. And, uh, well,
1: look, you got to pay for those Falcon doors.
2: Yeah. Somewhere. Well, that that's the, th- yeah, I mean, well, you're going to pay for those Falcon doors in multiple ways, both in terms of cost <laughs> and, and also in the headaches that they're going to give you because they, yeah, there's they, always, uh, it's always
1: fun to Google like Falcon door problems and yeah. <laughs> watch the videos of them just like not shutting and stuff like, I mean, it's a neat idea and the concept, you know, it, it works to a degree. I can understand the thinking behind it. But I I like that Jaguar with the I pace really focused on. You know they took the fundamentals of a car, four doors, four wheels, you know, and it's a Jaguar, so it's luxurious inside. And then they they applied an, a new propulsion system to it, rather than trying to completely reinvent everything all the time.
2: Yeah, and you know they I mean they they actually you know they, oh, sorry hold on. <laughs> I hate it when video auto plays, Um, the, uh, (laughs) you know, a lot of the stuff on this vehicle is new to Jaguar. Um, But, you know, they, they also, you know, between Jaguar and Magna, you know, they know how to build vehicles, you know, so they're, they're not, you know, they've been at this for a hundred years almost um, or about 80 years, I guess, you know, so they, they know what they're doing and I'm confident that, you know, that they will get this thing done right.
1: Well, I you know I I applaud them for bravely uh, letting go of the Jaguar heritage tropes and pushing into something that's completely new. Like you never thought a brand sort of built on the XK inline six and racing heritage would be going all electric. It's sort of so fast too. They're they're really they're one of the first in their competitive set to be doing this. Although they're going racing with the iPace, Pace, but it's just like. It. They have clearly plotted a course for the future, which involves big change for Jaguar. And this is really the, the tip of the spear for that, I think.
2: Yeah. And in fact, you know, they're not giving up on the racing heritage either because they're, um, you know, the summer, you know, with the next when the next season of the uh, Formula E uh, championship starts uh, They'll be using um, The I-PACE For support series uh, You know The uh, E-Trophy The I-PACE E-Trophy Series That will run Alongside Formula E uh, So we'll get a chance To see You know How it actually does On the track You know In terms of You know Sustained performance You know Rather than just Running a quarter mile At a time
1: Well that's one That I would buy Is the, the racing one Because it looks Pretty bad
2: <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Yeah With that big wing On the back um, Yeah but, uh, speaking of performance EVs, well, actually before, before we, uh, move on, um, the, I think, um, orders for, uh, North American, uh, i I think start in May or June and production of the iPace for North America, I think starts in June, uh, June or July. So it should be here by late summer, uh, at the latest. And, uh, and and that sixty nine thousand dollars pricing is the U S price, not the the European price.
1: Is I'm assuming the European price is higher.
2: Yeah, well, because they factor in you know their their value added taxes and everything for the advertised price. I think the the price the British the price in the UK, I think is like sixty eight thousand uh, pounds, and that includes their their taxes on that. So
1: that's still like that's pretty competitive. That's oh yeah, not absolutely. The most expensive thing. Yeah. Oh, Jaguars. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and actually, before
2: we before we move on, um, you know, we we did have a reader question that you know now is actually a good time to uh, to get into that. And uh, it was from uh, Yakov Nimoy. Uh, he was just he was curious about our thoughts uh, our experience with the touchscreens that JLR is putting in both uh, new Range Rovers and the i And he was a little surprised to see it so prominently featured on the i as it makes the cockpit feel like a slightly smaller Range Rover than a Jaguar. Uh, my experience has been they sort of kind of maybe pull off blending physical rotary knobs with touchscreens. I've accepted it. My wife loves it. I'd love to hear your thoughts on the show, especially if you've gotten some serious driving time. With it, and if not, hope you folks get to drive the iPACE real soon, uh, and I'm really looking forward to hearing about that too. Um, so, as far as driving, you know, none of us, neither of us, have driven the iPACE yet, um, and you know, as far as the the screen, you know, and the interface uh, being similar to Range Rover, it, yeah, it, the the iPACE has the same uh, new infotainment system, which is called uh, uh, the InControl Touch Pro Duo. Uh, system, which, uh, debuted on the Range Rover Velar, uh, which came out last year. And, um, so it's, it's their, just Jaguar Land Rover's next generation system. Uh, so it has a new interface, uh, bigger screens, and it's actually got dual screens. Uh, so there's, uh, a 10 inch main screen and then a smaller, uh, five and a half inch screen below that. And, uh, the uh so the, both the iPace pace and the the um range rover velar have that system in there but um you know the thing is over the last you know 10 15 years jaguars and land rovers have always had the same infotainment systems so you know while this may make the the jag may make the i-pace seem like a smaller range rover right now um ultimately this is going to filter through the in both brand lineups over the next few years as they as they update them um and in fact if you look at the the current batch of jaguars and land rover models you know the the f pace the um the xf and the xe and, uh, and and as well as you know things like the current range rover and discovery um and the um What's the small one? The evoke. Um, they all have all of those have the same uh, the, the previous generation uh, in Jaguar, uh, Jaguar Land Rover in control system. They all have the same UI uh, and the same the same layout so you know th- this is you know this is just another step along the way as they they'll add in add this into each new model as it gets updated including the new xJ which is expected to debut next year also as an electric uh, car rather than uh, an internal combustion That's model
1: right. yeah and I uh, even earlier versions of in control I didn't hate um, so I'm assuming this is probably even better it's probably a little snappier um, I haven't like you said i haven't had a chance to be in the ipace uh i do like that they've uh, and and our reader pointed that out too uh they've got physical buttons physical knobs and controls that go together with that lower screen so the lower screen displays stuff like status but you've also got ways to quickly adjust you know the, the fan and the temperature there's a volume knob there's there's uh sw- appears like switches above for You know airflow, so those things matter because adjusting the fan is something that shouldn't be hard, but sometimes takes three presses of a screen in some cars. So it it looks really good in pictures. Um, Hopefully, it functions really well in the real world.
2: Yeah, I've I've got a Velar scheduled for uh, first part of May, uh, so about six weeks from now, and yeah, that's got the same system in there. So I'll, I'll let you know then, you know, what it's whether it's any good or not.
1: All right, we'll have to set a calendar of reminder. Or we'll forget.
2: <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, and then uh, uh, another new EV that came out in Geneva is the uh, Porsche Mission E Cross Turismo.
1: All right yeah so do you like it or not
2: i do i do like it um you know i it's you know it looks a lot it it looks to me it basically looks like a a a panamera uh the panamera uh was it the sport turismo uh which is the the wagon version of the new panamera the second generation panamera but with the mission e uh front face on it um you know and then of course you know because, you know, everybody wants a crossover, you know, they've done the, the Audi all road, you know, Subaru Outback thing and, you know, jacked it up an inch or two and put some, uh, black wheel arch extensions on it. Uh, you know, I can, I can live with that. Um, you know, because it, it doesn't sit, you know, up high, like a traditional SUV, you know, it's a little bit higher, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd rather have, you know, something that sits, you know, has more of the profile of, of the the panamera sport turismo but you know i could i could live with this and um you know this this is going to be you know yet another you know in this burgeoning segment of um you know ev crossovers luxury ev crossovers you know that kicked off with the model x but now you've got the the ipace uh coming later this summer uh early fall will be the audi e-tron quattro and then you know this porsche Mission e the the four-door um sedan slash hatchback version that we originally saw as a concept a couple of years ago should be arriving towards the end of this year early 2019 uh the production version we've already seen spy photos of it running at the nurberg ring and a couple of weeks ago uh the porsche executive in charge of their ev program was throwing some shade at tesla you know about how you know their cars you know can can only run really fast for you know a couple of uh launches at a time you know and then the, then they the performance gets gets throttled, um, you know, because their batteries and motors and electronics overheat, and so now um, the um, uh, the the mission E, uh, you know, f- which is coming, uh, you know, he, he, they said you know, that this thing is going to be capable of providing the same kind of sustained performance that any other Porsche ever built uh, is capable of doing. And I'm sure that the same thing will apply to this cross Turismo, which is basically going to be, you know, the same, the same platform underneath. Uh, but, you know, with a, a slightly different body style on it.
1: Yeah, I really, really like it. I think it's great looking. Uh, and I, porsche is clearly investing in in moving past tradition and history while they're still serving those customers they they're looking to survive and so there's some of the echoes of what happened when they first you know brought out the cayenne uh 20 years ago where everybody freaked out and then it funded a bunch of really awesome stuff uh and i i like that it has that mission e sort of front end you know the the squared off lights and stuff it's it's almost like porsche is evolving past the stupid 911 finally
2: yeah well i mean that that look you know with those headlights with the four led headlights arranged in a in an array like that that's actually something that we first saw on the uh the 919 hybrid the le mans car uh a few years ago um and, you know, they've been migrating that across a lot of the other models. You know, the Macan has something similar to that. The Mission E has that. And and now the uh, this Mission E cross Turismo as well.
1: Yeah. And they're, they're flattening it out. You know, it's not a round headlamp. It's actually almost more rectangular with sort of soft corners. And it's just there's, there's change afoot. And I think that, you know, while Porsche has this, right now, this purist fan base that is Uh, spending ridiculous money for old things uh and that's fine it's their their right to make things bad for the rest of us uh but the next generation of Porsches have to appeal to people with money and that's not necessarily the same people that are buying the old stuff you know it has to appeal to to people who are buying new cars and want the the something fresh and so this is really it's a lot different and it's it's almost like the the porsche tree has branched right there's gonna be the the electric side of porsche that they're clearly going after with with all the developments you've seen under the the umbrella of porsche for the last however many years now and there's there's still the the awesome ridiculous sports cars as well so there's there's two different sides to porsche now at least two um so it's it's been really really interesting to watch um you know performance wise it's of course going to be impressive it's it's, you know, it's going to deliver a lot of power very quickly and it's going to have torque vectoring and all this actually all that stuff gets a lot easier with an electric powertrain doesn't it
2: uh pretty much yeah you know especially because you know typically um, you know with these things you're using a dual motor setup one motor at each axle you know so you don't have you know, with with a traditional all wheel drive system, you know, you've got to have a power takeoff, you know, at, at whichever end the um, the uh, the power, you know, the powertrain is at uh, and then an axe or a drive shaft that goes to the opposite end of the car. You know, so there's a lot more. Um, packaging complexity and, you know, a lot more mass and, uh, and other stuff that actually hurts performance. And, you know, with, uh, with an electric, you know, you just throw a motor at each axle driving, uh, driving the, the wheels at that axle. And, you know, typically they're driving through, um, through a uh, uh, you know a re- simple reduction gearbox with a differential, and you know if you put a, a torque vectoring system on on that, you can have four wheel torque vectoring. You know with a with a fairly simple mechanism at at each axle of the car, and nothing in between except for a ginormous battery pack.
1: Yeah, and that battery pack is something they're saying they'll be able to recharge in like fifteen minutes. And this this is where I'm like, okay, come on now,
2: <laughs> like, well that. What you know, one one of the things that uh, Porsche is doing with their uh, EV powertrain that is different. You know, up until now, most of the hybrid and electric uh, drive systems that have been that have come to market typically uh, are th- around 300 volt architectures, 300, sometimes as high as 360 volts. Um, which you know, that's that's fine, but you know, for more power output. Um, now you've got to have higher currents, and that means bigger, heavier wires, you know, to get the resistance down, and so that adds weight. And that's that's one of the issues that you know with with Tesla uh, that causes them to have to limit their performance. You know, after you've been running hard for more than a couple of minutes, um, you know, because that, and you start building up all this heat and resistance in there because you have to have really high currents because the voltage, you know, I mean, 300, 360 volts is not low, but it's, it's lower than optimal. And so what Porsche has done with their system, you know, their architecture, their system, their, their vehicles are designed in around an 800 volt architecture so with higher voltage, you can have less current, uh, smaller wires, and it's not going to generate as much heat. It's going to be more efficient overall, and that's one of the things that's going to you know, help them with their performance. I'm not sure what the voltage on the iPace pace is. I'm going to have to ask about that. Uh, but, the, but the Porsche uh, systems are all 800 volts, and then the other thing they're doing is designing it to support 350-kilowatt
1: uh, uh, charging rates. Um, so, yeah, that's I guess that's my question is – the system operates at 800 volts. Um, what are the, the are they 800 volt batteries, or is there some kind of you know, yeah. transformer or something going on in there? Or uh, no,
2: I, I believe it's designed around an 800 volt battery. So the battery architected for the battery pack is architected to put out 800 volts, and that's, then that's and then a what, lot of
1: volts. Yeah,
2: <laughs> it certainly is. Um, you know and then you know the the 350 kilowatt charging rates you know so they've got a uh, 350 uh, you know a, a charging system that can support 350 kilowatts. Uh, right now there's no 350 kilowatt DC fast chargers out there, but they're actually starting to deploy, those uh over the next year or so um there's uh there's a joint venture between several of the uh, european automakers uh, i think uh bmw mercedes and volkswagen and i think ford are all uh part of this It's called ionity and they're building out a network of dc fast charging stations in europe and then there's also a separate uh um, Consortium here in the U.S. uh, or North America that's building out DC fast charging here. And then on top of that, we've also got uh, the Electrify America, which is the 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 company set up to uh, deploy and use the the money from the. uh, the Volkswagen diesel settlement uh, the two billion dollars from the Volkswagen diesel settlement to also deploy DC fast charging across uh, across the US and so between all those they're you know they're planning to put in uh, DC charging systems that initially most of them will be either 100 or 150 kilowatts uh, the the Tesla superchargers are uh, usually 120 kilowatts. They're they're putting they're initially putting in 100, 150 kilowatt systems, uh, but they are systems that are designed to be upgradable to 300 up to up to 350 kilowatts and beyond. Uh, so they're modular systems that can be that can put out more power as needed.
1: Yeah, see, that's the thing. So my guess is that in Europe, they're going to roll out one network and build up the infrastructure there. And in the United States, they're, they're going to pick a completely different one. And none of the plugs are going to match and the standards are going to be different. Well, I mean, a-
2: actually, uh, well, first of all, in, in Europe, you know, they they have a, a plug standard that everybody's using here in the U.S. We have well, we have like an three. SAE plug. We have an SAE plug standard. And then there's also Chatamo. Actually, there's also Chatamo in Europe, which Nissan is pretty much the only one that uses that. Uh, but uh, the um, all of these all of these networks are all designed around the um, the the CCS the SA combo plug, um, and you know even if the European plugs and the North American plugs are different, how often do cars drive from New York to Paris?
1: No, I know it's just some of it is just the ridiculousness and it it shifts the burden now to the to the manufacturers and the infrastructure, because really what's like we've proven that the cars are possible. The problem is now putting the energy back into the batteries. Right. And and, I mean, not now. That's that's always been the biggest stumbling block. Um, The cars like there's an appetite for it. And the the refueling. Essentially, infrastructure is really lagging, and that that is where a lot of development needs to happen, and it's where a lot of development is happening. Um, and until that's that's solved, like you, we can come out with lots of these, you know, Mission E cross Turismo, and you know, Model X, and uh, Jaguar I Pace, and all that. Like we can keep doing that. Uh, at a certain point, we need to make sure that we can recharge them as easily as we go fill our cars up, and and so what has happened with gas cars is you know there's two different emission standards between and there's more than that but just between you know europe and the u.s the emission standards are different enough that it it's a real pain in the ass you know to to just like you've got to federalize a car that is fine in europe because it doesn't meet american emission standards and that that's it's a cost and. Ultimately, the automakers bear that cost, and so consumers bear it. So, hopefully, they're not stupid this time around, and they figure out how to make like a global charging standard that just works for everything. They can develop it once.
2: Yeah, the, like I said, the um, you know the the two primary standards, the two primary non-Tesla standards used in uh, Europe and North America, even though the the, the connectors are slightly different, um, you know they're. They're similar enough that it's not a big deal, you know, to take, you know, a car from Europe and install the, uh, you can even do it with adapters, you know, and and in fact, this applies to Tesla as well. I mean, you can, you know, when you buy a Tesla, it comes with an adapter to plug in a standard uh, J1772 connector, which is the one that everybody except Tesla uses. Um, And it's also used in Europe. Uh, As well, Uh, so that's that's the standard you know level one, level two charger for 120 or 240 volt charging, Um, and then you know we have the the SAE combo charger, which is um, you know is the same the same connector but with two extra pins on it uh, for DC fast charging uh, that's that's used here in North America. So they're 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 all close enough that you know it's not the same as having to deal with different emission standards.
1: Yeah, well. We'll see how it works out. Yeah, I, to, I need something to rant about, Sam.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, rant rant about Chatamo then. That's, okay, that, I'm... that's the that's the one that's kind of the well uh, super char, you know Tesla the Tesla charging connector and and Chattamo, you know those are the kind of the two outliers.
1: Yeah, well, Tesla wants to own everything. They want to be like sort of vertically integrated. No, we do it the Tesla way. This is just, like the idea that you've got to have dongles for your car just to refill it is, I. <laughs> We talked about USB C last week a little bit, and this is sort of the same thing. Just like, yep. just make one plug, make one plug.
2: I know, <laughs> you know, I know. Well, actually, in um, in Europe, I mean, you know, in Europe, they for phones, you know, they, I don't know, seven or eight years ago, uh, the EU mandated that all phones had to support um, you know standard USB connectors, and so when you when you buy um, an iPhone in Europe. In the box, it comes with um, a micro SD adapter, uh, you know, that plugs into the Lightning port and allows you to charge from a micro SD cable. Um, and now they're they're switching over to USB C. And there's there has been some discussion, you know, in Europe of uh, defining the same kind of standard for EVs, so that everything has to use the same standardized um, combo connector uh, in Europe, which means that. You know, Tesla would either have to uh, convert uh, their cars for the European market or, you know, or, you know, supply the adapter, which they already do. Um, although I'm not I know they have an adapter for uh, 240 volt charging. I don't think they have one that will support DC fast charging uh, from the uh, from the European uh, charge connectors. And then China, of course, has has that's the other issue is China has their own different standard. Um and so we'll, we'll see what happens there.
1: That's true. How provincial of us to think about Europe and the U.S. and forget that, that China is uh, a really giant and expanding market still. So,
2: Yep. All, All right. right so um, you
1: went to a robotics competition you were a, uh, a judge for
2: yeah so uh, the reason why we're recording this on Sunday instead of uh, you know a few days ago is because I was uh, I spent the last couple of days in uh, Flint uh, at my alma mater at uh, what is now known as Kettering University back in my day it was uh, GMI uh, GMI engineering management Institute and I was I was invited to be a judge for the first robotics competition there a regional event of the uh, first robotics competition first robotics Started in the uh, mid 1990s, it was founded by Dean Kamen, the uh, the mastermind behind the Segway, um, and uh, it's uh, it's a competition for high school students. Well, it started off as a competition for high school students uh, to build robots. Uh, you know, to learn how to build and program robots and then, you know, test them. Um, And over the years, it's expanded. They've they've expanded the program downwards, uh, you know, to uh, early elementary school levels. And I think even I think they earliest one the earliest programs actually now start in kindergarten um, you know with uh, using Lego systems uh, to build uh, build Lego based uh, robots but the um, the original one the first robotics competition for high school students uh, you know the uh, teams what the, the way it works is that uh, at the beginning of the year um, the you know schools that, that have a team they're uh, everybody that wants to compete um, they the organizers, um, created a new game every year and you get a kit of parts that you can start with. And then you can add to that, you know, if you, uh, if you can afford it, if you have, you know, if you're able to find some sponsors and get some money, um, you can, you can build on top of that and and make your robots more sophisticated. But there are, there are certain restrictions, like the robots are limited to 200 pounds, total weight and, and various other things. Um, but uh you know the the game you know each year they come up with a new game and they they publish that at the beginning of the year and then the student teams you know based on what the the robots have to do they they design their their robots to try to work and function in that game and and so over the years they've added things like for example uh they now um have a, an autonomous mode test you know so um there's there's several different modes um where you know, depending on on how much the robot can achieve, the teams get certain points. And when they come to the competition, they have uh, matches. They the teams um, match up and pair, um, pair off against each other in qualification rounds, and then in the playoffs. Uh, and what they is do it is like
1: they, robot wars, where they, like, uh, they beat the hell out of each other. No, like,
2: they they don't they don't they don't beat each other up. But like for example, this year's game is called Power Up, and I'll put a link to it in the. Uh, uh, in the uh, the show notes, but um, basically, it's kind of like taking a, a classic '80s video game um, and bringing it into into real life with the robots, and they have you know they they take they have to the robots have to pick up and move uh power cubes which are basically just milk crates that you know are covered in a in a yellow wrapper you know so they they look like yellow boxes um and they have to stack them uh there's a scale it's about 6 feet up off the ground uh and each team has to put theirs on one side of the scale and you know whichever team can get more you know can can take control of the scale there's also a couple of uh, low to the ground uh, similar, to, similar to scale they're, they're, They call them switches uh, And they stack the, the, bo- the power-up Boxes in there And then there's also um, other stuff you know, A couple of other things Basically they have to go, go around the playfield Pick up the boxes and, and get them into These various locations And whichever team And for, for, the, for the matches They actually ha- have alliances So there's actually three teams will be in an alliance On each side of the, the match, uh, playing together. Um, and then they all get their points, you know, they, they, they combine their points. Um, and it's, it's really cool to watch. And, um, you know, then there's also a bunch of other various other awards that are given out to teams uh, for things like uh, industrial design, uh, innovations in control and how they control the, the their robots. Um, you know, things like their their teamwork, their their safety stuff, and so they're they're encouraged to to do to learn about and, and do all of the kinds of things that you do in any kind of engineering and technical environment uh, in the, you know, you know, in the real world. Um, and so uh, the judge, what the judges do is we go around and we interview all the teams uh, in the, in the pits uh, during the competition phase. And, and then we, we rank them and, and we not, we, we decide, you know, which teams are going to uh, to win each of the awards. And uh, so that's what I spent the last couple of days doing, uh, and it was it was a lot of fun getting to talk to these kids and, and see what they've learned, and you know there's there's a lot of really impressive kids out there, and this is a great program, uh, you know, and if there's you know anybody out there you know who's uh, got kids in a school that is participating in first robotics you know I definitely encourage you to to get your kids involved uh, if they're if they're at all interested in anything and it's not just technical stuff you know I mean there, I mean there's you know building the building the machines you know you know the manufacturing side you know, learn learning about you know manufacturing the parts um, and putting it all together but there's also programming involved uh, there's there's marketing involved so even for kids that aren't interested in the technical stuff that might be interested in other aspects you know some of the business stuff you know in terms of going out and getting sponsors and you know putting together sponsor pitches and and promoting the the program uh, you know there's a lot of ways to to get involved with first robotics and so if you're you know if your kid's school doesn't isn't involved in first robotics you know definitely Take a look at you know, seeing if you can help out uh, to get one get a first robotics program started, and you know, for adults, you know, you can be mentors to the to the teams, you know, and help them out. Uh, you can help them with with finding sponsorship, and there's there's all kinds of ways to participate.
1: So, what impressed you the most? Um, you know, there
2: one one thing that was pretty amazing. You know, there were, there were several rookie teams this year, um, you know, and this, this was a regional event, you know, for, you know, Southern Michigan, um, you know, there was 41 teams altogether uh, at this event. And it was one team, you know, there was, I say team, but it was literally one girl you know, she came from a, a very small school, you know, a high school with only about 200 students in total. And, you know, they, at one point had, about five kids uh, that were participating, but most of them, you know, kind of dropped off along the way. And there was this one girl that really wanted to do this and just pressed forward with getting this thing built. And, you know, there were a couple of other teams that actually provided a whole, whole bunch of assistance just over the past couple of weeks to help her get the robot built and she put in, you know, probably, you know, about 30 or 40 hours a week, you know, just over the last couple of weeks, uh, building her robot and, you know, with, with some help, like I said, from some of these other, a couple of other teams, uh, with some technical assistance and, you know, she came to the competition and, you know, com- competed, you know, all on her own, you know, she had just her mom and a teacher, uh uh, helping out and, uh, that, I mean, things like that, you know, but then there were, you know, some of the other more established teams, uh, you know, where, you know, they're doing things beyond just, beyond just the, you know, building their own robots. You know, there was a team from Port Huron that, you know, one of the things that they do is they've organized, you know, with some of the other schools, uh, for, um, a program they called Michigan wheels for kids. And what they do is they get, um, they modify power wheels, you know, the, the little Fisher price, uh, battery operated vehicles, um, yep. for, uh, young kids that are physically challenged, you know? And so they're, they're modifying these vehicles to allow, um, you know, to give to, uh, kids, you know, that are, you know, in some way, uh, physically challenged so that they can drive around in these things. Uh, you know, and that's you yeah, know, it's a real good are, community outreach program.
1: Power are super cool and awesome. I yeah. have two of them in the shed right now.
2: <laughs> yeah, um, I mean we they had we had a jeep when our kids were little, and you know they loved it.
1: Yeah, apparently there's like adults that that go through and they like completely upgrade the, the, oh. the electrical systems and the motors and they drag race and, and yeah,
2: well race there, them and, yeah there's there's a whole power racing series as part of the maker movement. I I actually wrote a, a piece for uh, Autoblog back in 2010 when they had the first um, Maker Fair here in Detroit and um, you know they they brought the power racing series here and there's a video I'll include a link to that um, uh, in the in the show notes as well. Um, but yeah, you know. People take these, you know, they take Power Wheels vehicles and heavily modify them and, and race them, uh, you know, with yeah. adults riding on them, which is pretty hysterical to watch.
1: I mean, I, I've driven both of the, we had a six volt um, one that, because Power Wheels are this, not to get completely off track, but uh, they're these, it, people will go to the store and they'll spend hundreds of dollars on them. And then when the kid grows up and the battery wears out, they give them away or they throw them away. <laughs> so put them out on the curb. And we, yeah. And so it, all that's ever wrong with them is the batteries. So you yeah, just I mean, replace I, the battery. I
2: went, I went through a couple of batteries on ours, and you know, they kept yeah. going for years.
1: Um, I remember driving around the backyard, riding the six-volt uh, F-150 or whatever that we picked <laughs> up out of the trash. <laughs> I put a new battery in it, and, and the six-volt ones have oomph. Um, you know, and and the, the 12 volts are even better, so... Yeah. Anyway, that's, that's my little, uh, power wheels vignette. Um, so is first, you said it's nationwide, like first robotics.
2: Yeah, it's, uh, in fact, it's, um, global now. I mean, there's, there's first robotics competitions in a number of countries now. Um, and, uh, it's all over the United States. Uh, I think if you, uh, let me find a, I think, uh, it's Their
1: first,
2: first is firstinspires.org. Yep, firstinspires.org. So you can go there to uh, find out all the information about it, you know, to uh, to participate or to be a volunteer. Uh, you know, they always need help at the events, at the various events. You know, and it runs, you know, for the events you know typically run over uh, a two or three month period uh, in the springtime. Uh, you know, they have various uh, regionals and then state level events. Uh, and then uh, on to the world championships, uh, which there's two world championship events this year, one in Houston uh, and then another one here in Detroit at Cobalt Hall, uh, which I believe are in June. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's it's definitely you know, a fantastic thing to participate in. you know, I said there's all kinds of ways that your kids can um, be a part of it, even if they're not necessarily uh, inclined towards engineering or, or design or, or manufacturing.
1: That's pretty cool. Yeah.
2: All right. With that so PSA gonna, out I'm of the way, you're
1: going to go back again. I oh, expect. I I
2: absolutely <laughs> plan to uh, to do this some more and and participate in these uh, in these events and uh, the, again in the future.
1: Awesome. All uh, right. That sounds like a cool opportunity for you for you and the kids. Uh, so yeah, we had some some listener questions.
2: Uh yeah. So let's see. Let me find this one here. Um, where did it go?
1: You must be looking on Facebook where you can't find oh. anything ever
2: No, actually, this one was this one was also an email uh, So this one was from Glenn F uh, We actually got this uh, about a week and a half ago um, And he says he and his girlfriend got in a car crash uh, in February uh, They live in Peoria, Illinois And we got some snow and slick conditions And we're driving on a country road And her 2005 Focus hatchback Started swerving and got hit head-on by a GMC Terrain uh, they both blacked out from the crash, which is lucky since they don't remember the accident. She's unfortunately suffered a f- uh, pelvis fracture and a bro- and he had a broken right leg, upper right arm and cracked a couple of ribs. Um, I'm glad uh, that both of everybody survived. Uh, you know, those are serious injuries, but, you know, they're all injuries that you can hopefully recover from. Um Anyway, uh, they're, you know, thinking about what to do for, uh, for their next car, uh, to, to replace the focus and they'd like it to, um, Um, Be able to transport at least Two road bikes Uh, And uh, I guess they've got a couple of bikes that are fairly Valuable Uh, so they want to be able to Transport them inside the vehicle Um, And they also want to Make sure they have all wheel drive uh, To better handle inclement weather Uh, I've tried to tell her we could get snow tires For the vehicle which I absolutely um, You know I think Both of us would uh, very much recommend that Uh, It's never a bad thing to have Winter tires uh, when when The temperatures drop even if you don't get much snow yeah um even you know, with all-wheel drive yeah yeah i mean you know all all-wheel drive you know will just let you you know use the whatever little bit of uh traction you have but if you know if there's no traction because you have terrible tires you're still going to be out of luck uh, so definitely you know snow tires even and even if it doesn't even if you don't get much snow where you are if it does get cold if it you know stays below about 40 degrees for extended periods of time uh, winter tires are definitely a good thing because they're, the rubber is formulated differently so that it stays pliable. You know, even all-season tires, the rubber gets harder when the temperature gets cold, and so you don't get as much grip. And you know, so winter tires are formulated to to stay more pliable down to much colder temperatures, so you'll have better traction even on on dry pavement. Um, and then. Um, Uh, Third requirement is uh, modern amenities like Bluetooth, Android Auto, CarPlay, and and heated seats. Uh, So Bluetooth is pretty much standard on pretty much anything new nowadays. Um, Heated seats, you know, it depends on on the vehicle. Um, Most... You know, pretty much everything except like the, the really low end vehicles are at least available with heated seats, if not standard. And in, in some cases on some of the more expensive models, uh, they've, they've looked online at um, the Mazda CX-5, Jeep Renegade, uh, Subaru Impreza, Forrester, Subaru Outback. Um, he's Glenn also has a 2012 Cadillac SRX with seventy four thousand miles uh, Oh, we found a 2012 SRX uh, for 16500 on Craigslist. Is uh,
1: that the, the the old, like, first-generation No, No,
2: 2012 would on, be okay. the second-gen. So that's the front-wheel drive Seven. one. That's based on the Theta platform. Um, and, uh, you know, 74,000 miles... Uh, I'm not sure about the pricing. It sounds reasonable. You'd have to, I would suggest uh, taking a look at uh, either kbb.com or Edmunds and go through the used car pricing, you know, based on the equipment that's on it and uh, the mileage and and condition. But in terms of reliability, um, it should be fine. You know, I, I, as long as, you know, as long as it's had proper maintenance, had its oil changes and tire rotations and everything, you know, it's, there's nothing about that particular vehicle. It's the, it's got GM's 3.6 liter twin cam V six, which is a, a good engine. You know, there's, it's never had any particular issues with it. So, you know, it should, it should be good. Uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be too concerned about that. Um, you know, I mean, anytime you're buying a used car, uh, you know, you have to, you know, check the maintenance records and things like that. And, and you know, I would suggest, you know, maybe, you know, spend a little bit, of, if, if you can, you know, spend a little money, take it to a mechanic you trust to give it a once over, um, you know, and, and make sure everything looks okay. But, you know, um, like I said, there's nothing. There's nothing about the uh, about a 2012 SRX that you necessarily need to look out for. Um,
1: yeah, I, so, I one, mean, I wonder, one one it's, vehicle it's, it's, I'd probably
2: cross off the list is the Renegade uh, because if you want to carry your bikes inside the vehicle, yeah. the Renegade's pretty small. Um, Impreza, uh, same thing. I'm not sure you'd actually be able to fit them in there. Um, yeah, but the others I, are probably fine.
1: My. It's, it's kind of a wide swath of vehicles, right? Like you're going from, from Renegade and Impreza to, like, talking about an SRX. So you, if luxury is important, that's that's something to consider. Um, but the the car I was going to recommend is actually the Outback because it, I think it ticks all those boxes, and it's a little physically larger, so you can definitely get road bikes and other stuff in there as well. And, I, I mean, it just doesn't sound like uh, there's any need to transport you know, kids or dogs or anything like that but if there are an outback will handle it a a little bit more gracefully as well so i mean my my suggestion would be an outback um you know they have a a great safety record as well they offer the eyesight system even if you're buying one used it's been around long enough where you can get an, an outback with that as well so
2: um yeah, I That's mean, right. uh, uh, yeah, Outback's a great choice. You know, it should be fairly reliable. Uh, you know, it's, it's going to be, it's going to give you plenty of room, you know, for, um, you know, whatever, whatever, you know, whatever you want to do, you know, if you got an active lifestyle. I mean, if you got a couple of road bikes, you know, you probably, you know, you're both, you were what, 28, 31. Um, you know, I think, probably have an active lifestyle so you know whether you want to go camping or you know whatever else it might be you're going to be able to throw all your stuff in the back of an Outback without any any real difficulty um you know I also you know I really like the CX5 um you know I'm I'm always a, a Mazda fan um you know you don't you know you haven't said what your budget is Um, you know, so I'm not sure how much you're looking to spend. Uh, but you know, either, either one of those is probably a really good choice. Another one to consider again, depending on how much, how much you're you're prepared to spend that, um, you might want to take a look at is the, uh, new Buick Regal Tour X. Um, you know, it's the, their crossover wagon thing, which, you know, Mm. similar in concept to the, to the Outback, um, maybe slightly larger, uh, pretty close in size, I think, actually, to the Outback, um, you know, and, you know, that one is I don't think the Outback has support for CarPlay or Android Auto yet. I'm not sure. Um,
1: it may not. Uh, but especially if you buy use, there's actually some good aftermarket head unit options for Subarus in particular. They look like factory. So there's there's that. The, 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 uh, the aftermarket loves Subaru.
2: Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's lots of stuff out there. Um, but yeah, the, you know, the, the SRX, you know, is, is also a good choice. You know, said, uh, you had one as a rental car and, and liked it. So, I mean, if it's a car, you, you already know that you like, you know, if that one's in, you know, that one's in good shape or you find another one, you know, similar, uh, I wouldn't necessarily turn away from that one either.
1: Yeah. I just, I didn't love, I don't love the Thetas that much to, um, to fall in love with them, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and for me, like if you're going to go Theta, you might as well just go Equinox and get some more, more space inside. Cause it's just, it's, it is essentially the same thing as the SRX, but it, it's much less luxurious. So it, it will feel very different, but you can get it with the four cylinder if you want as well for, for better fuel economy. Although kind of comes out in the wash. Cause you got to put your foot in it all the time. Um, you know, another one that comes to mind too, is the, uh, the, the, Golf All Track, uh, or whatever the hell they call. It. I think it's yeah. the All Track, right? Yeah, it's, it's the it, uh, All, golf all wagon. Road. Is it?
2: is it All or is it All Track? I, I don't, I don't whatever, know. Whatever,
1: whatever, whatever.
2: The jacked up um, all-wheel drive Golf wagon is. Um, yeah, it's it, a
1: little smaller. It's definitely smaller than the the Outback, and I think it's. I think you're right. I think the Outback is smaller than the Buick. So, uh, to make sure your bikes will fit in it. But it's it's another decent option, and it, it drives really well. Uh, I'm not sure you're down for the long-term Volkswagen ownership experience, which Sam has talked about (laughs) repeatedly. (laughs) Yeah. Um, that's a good option. I I like the CX five as well. I just, I get concerned just knowing how difficult it is to put bikes, you know, multiple bikes in, in our grand Cherokee, you know, something the size of a CX five or a forest or, or, you know, even the, the smaller, the golf wagon, um,
2: well, if you can take the front wheels off, which you typically can, then, yeah. then that that might be doable.
1: Yeah, for sure. They they generally have all the wheels on quick releases and stuff. So I I don't know. I will say one of the uh, what's the, uh, SRAM S R A M. They make uh, shifters and and like you know bike hardware. Uh, they have support vehicles for their their cycling teams, and they are all Volvo wagons. So okay. a nice used cross country, you know, nice used V seventy XC. Uh no shame in that. And that's a pretty decent sized wagon as well.
2: So. Yeah. And just checking the, uh, the Subaru site, um, the 2018 Outback. So if you're, if you are looking to buy new, uh, the 2018 Subarus do have, uh, CarPlay and Android auto built in. Uh, so oh, you know, if you're, if you're going used, you know, you can, you should be able to find an aftermarket unit that'll fit in there. Um, or if you go new, um, you know, they, they already have it built in. So, uh, so that's something to consider there. And you know, the. You know, uh, you mentioned the the Equinox, Um, you know, the new Equinox is actually really nice as well. Um, You know, so again, if you're if you're looking, uh, if you're looking new, you know, the the Equinox, it also has uh, CarPlay and Android Auto support uh, as well as, you know, all of all of the other stuff. So that's another one to uh, to consider.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think we've solved that problem. Can I interest you maybe in a Crown Victoria with a trailer hitch, which you can mount <laughs> one of those hitch bike things to? Or you could probably get the bike. Well, in he, the trunk.
2: but they, he wants the bikes on the inside, though.
1: You can put them in the trunk. You can put them in the back seat. Nobody's going to the back seat. Just take the back seat out. Just, fine. <laughs> Just please come take the car. <laughs> All right, Dan, well, Dan, Dan will
2: pay we'll, you to take it away.
1: No, I, That I will not do. <laughs>
2: <laughs> will you at least fill the um, tank and fill, put a, put a tank
1: of gas in it? I, I'll fill the tires. Okay. <laughs> uh, all right. I think we've done it. We got to both the questions and the, the podcast topics and uh, I, think, I think that's about it. So we should come back in a couple of days and, and do another episode before a week goes by.
2: Yeah. Or or uh, at some point, at some point this week.
1: Some point, some point. Yeah. So yeah. until then, uh, thanks for listening and we'll catch everybody next time. Talk to you later.